0: All right, it's time to bring on the Grandmaster. Been far too long since we've had him on. A great mentor of mine and basically the uh, the headmaster, perhaps, of a sports business class. Or maybe I should start calling you the headmaster instead of the grandmaster. What do you think of that?
1: I don't know. Maybe dean, general manager, something like that. How you doing, Nate?
0: <laughs> I, I'm doing well. Well, you must be really disappointed that with Larry Nance no longer playing in summer league for the Lakers, uh, you uh, won't get to pretend that the the Lakers fans are serenading you with the, the Larry. Yeah,
1: Coons. I wanted to talk to you about that because I and I even put a note down here to talk to you about your December 19th podcast where you and Danny were saying that everybody's in, in <laughs> and the, and the night of Kobe's <laughs> retirement. Everybody in L.A. was doing the Larry chant and you said and I quote Larry Kuhn probably thought they were chanting about him and some guys have a closer <laughs> grip on reality than others. Now I will point out to you that yes Larry dance and I do share a name and admittedly, an unequal share of crowd adulation. But in sports business classroom 2017, in the summer league, we were out there for games, and the Larry Larry chant was going strong. And Larry Nance wasn't even in Vegas, my friend.
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm just flattered that you're you're listening to the show. I mean, you're. Uh, I'm trying to think of a, who it was. I mean, this is like this isn't like a Nixon esque uh, enemies list, is it? No, after, no. After... <laughs> yeah we we, uh we saved that for spc students who uh don't get their assignments done right (laughs) but yeah so that's what you're on to promote We'll, we'll talk about that more at the end of the show uh i know a lot of students who have done SBC, heard about it from Dunk down. We're very flattered by that. It was a privilege uh, to teach all of y'all uh, the last two years. Uh, and we're hoping to get a chance to do that to more of the audience uh, this year. And certainly uh, there've been a lot of guys who've gone on to great things. Liam, of course, our intern, we uh, found him uh, through SBC. A, a lot of our former students have a great podcast called The Bench Mob, which uh, both of us uh, have been on. And uh, we've had a, a lot of students who coming back year after year uh, as interns. So that's been a lot of fun. Uh, but first uh, let's talk a little uh, nba cba it is now oh about a year a little bit more than a year since that 2017 cba was signed we've got a full summer under our belts a full trade deadline under our belts now Uh, so what sticks out to you the the most uh, about uh, this new cba you know about a year or so in here
1: yeah and in addition to that we're a couple of years into the all the tv money hitting as well so where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the money or do you want to start with the CBA? Well, I think we could start with the
0: CBA a a little bit. I mean, it it wasn't a radical departure. There were some new things that came in. I mean, I guess we could be positive since we're so often critical and we're going to be critical (laughs) uh, going forward here, but like, what do you think they've done that's new, that's working right now?
1: That's working. Um, They did a couple of nice things, for example, with extensions, where they cleaned up some of the designated roads rookie extensions uh, kind of, of of not eliminated completely but they did avoid some of of the um the Davis problems uh the, the designated veteran contract i thought was uh, a nice thing where they could take um the guys who were coming off of that rookie deal and you know there was a big problem before where they weren't making enough money yet to really qualify for that 35% maximum and players were kind yeah. of in a tough spot and and they cleaned that up they provided the de- designated veteran contract yeah. now that and,
0: and you're talking about guys coming off their initial rookie extensions or correct. their first contract after the rookie contracts so the seven and nine years experience type of
1: guy correct correct sorry if i said it the wrong way uh and you know that helps because it gets those guys into the 10 plus year salary range even before they're 10, 10 years into the league and these are the franchise types of players who deserve that money it's caused its own problems you know it's something that was supposed to reduce player movement especially for the really valuable players in the first thing that it did out of the gates was to cause a trade with DeMarcus Cousins. But this is one of those things, and I think we're going to touch upon it a couple of times in this conversation, is unintended consequences. And you put a rule in for a specific purpose, and somebody figures out a way that it makes sense to go opposite the rule or figures out a way around them. Um, I thought that, you know, I like the fact that we have two-year contracts now. Not everybody is, again, not everybody is perfectly um, satisfied by how they're working out. But in doing what what they're supposed to do, two-way contracts,
0: you mean, right? Yeah. What did I say? Two two two-year. Did I say two-year contract? I think so. Maybe I I misheard you. By the way, this is how this is how it is when we're teaching together (laughs) (laughs) on the CBA. Uh, All right, Eric. Let's continue. Yeah, yeah. Although there was there was one time when I corrected you last year and I was totally wrong. That was uh, utterly embarrassing.
1: (laughs) No worries. Yeah, so two-way contracts. Um, you know, in theory it adds 60 new jobs to the league and, you know, right now, I, I took a quick look today and it looks like we have 440 regular contracts, 56 two-ways. So we have 496 jobs filled out of a possible 510. So it's it's great in that regard. Um, and then most teams, 26 teams, have two two-ways. So like with anything, a couple of people are going to be outperforming the two-way deal and kind of stuck with it, but on the other hand it provides the opportunity for enough players that a couple are gonna rise to the top that wouldn't have risen to the top necessarily without that opportunity so
0: tyrone wallace with the clippers is probably the most obvious example of those guys who really outperformed a two-way contract but now there's been reporting some of it by me that they're at an impasse because they're trying to use the leverage of converting him to get him onto a longer deal that kind of hinky special type of deal most likely where they've got significant non-guarantees on the end would hold down his value he doesn't want to do that but it, it seems like that might be an unintended consequence of the team trying to leverage that and then you know because if the guy's good enough you think oh you just convert him right like that's how it's supposed to work you've got the, the ability to unilaterally convert the guy but they're not doing that they're trying to kind of force him into even more of a, of a contract that he may not be interested in
1: yeah when the league and the players association were sitting across the table from each other in new york negotiating this thing i'm sure that the the those simple bri- Strokes are the way that they painted it. Oh, we'll do this. There'll be more jobs. We'll let the teams convert them. It'll it'll all be great. You know, provide an option where people can be converted back. And, uh, you know, the, there'll be a few details to work out. Well, the devil's in the details. And teams are always going to try and find a way to work the rules to their best advantage, which is why, why you have subsequent CBAs, one of the reasons for it. And the teams are certainly trying to figure it out in two way contracts. I think that given that it's a new rule, teams are going to uh, take a couple of years to really understand what they mean from a strategic standpoint and tactically how to work them to uh, work to the team's best advantage. But overall, I wouldn't want to not have the two ways at this point after seeing what they've done and what they've provided for getting more players developmental time.
0: Yeah. Like many of these systems, it provides for more of the greater good. There's more NBA money going to the hands of, of more players who now don't have to play overseas or may not have even had that option younger players like take a kobe simmons for example a, a guy who went undrafted but with the grizzlies he, he's able to make part of an nba salary get a higher guarantee in the g league and you know he's probably not ready to contribute at the nba level yet but spends a couple of years in their system he's a talented guy maybe he would be uh and i think you can argue that it's going to produce better players overall but for the guys who really outperform those contracts that actually they do clearly deserve a job in the NBA, it's looking like perhaps those players may not, may be limited, much in the same way that when you limit the opportunities for the best superstars, that money trickles down to other players, but they're limited maybe for making their greatest earnings.
1: Sure, but this isn't a new thing, right? This is before the two-way contracts, you had guys who were negotiating with teams for a minimum salary deal for two years, the second year non-guaranteed. The cards are all in the team's hands at that point because if the player really does break out as a rookie and have a great season well guess what you're signed for the second year now at the minimum salary again it's it's to the team's advantage and two-way contracts are the same thing it's we're providing the contract for you if you break out if you're really good it might not be to your advantage but on the other hand you get that opportunity that you may not have had so there's there's a trade-off there but there's a couple of other things to the team's advantage too where the team does get a couple of extra roster spots so they have access to more players and the option before or when they were limited to 15 players strictly was you can sign players to G League well D League you could sign players to D League contracts now the G League and they were poachable you had no control over those players and this gives the team some insurance that if they have a guy under in their system that they value enough to give a two-way contract they're going to have some ability to retain that guy and I think that it provides the team with, with some leverage in addition to some of these nice-to-haves but it also provides opportunities for the players so again it's a quick like pro quo to a certain extent.
0: Yeah, and this also encourages teams to invest more in the G League, or in the case of, of some teams that have still kind of cheaped out, uh invest in any G League team at all <laughs> to begin with. <laughs> um I wanted to ask you. So we, we talked about the designated veteran extension. We've seen some guys, some teams trade guys because they they had the looming specter of that. Jimmy Butler, Demarcus Cousins. We've seen other players, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Steph Curry stay with their incumbent teams. We've seen John Wall sign a designated player veteran extension two years before it's actually going to kick in and and, you know that's one with his injury problems that that is not looking amazing for the Wizards right now but just in general where do you fall down on the idea of open marketplace versus all right we got to protect these teams and these owners from themselves do you kind of fall on one side or the other of that line
1: yeah I don't think it's really an open market and you you and I've had this discussion before in terms of what rules we should have in terms of like even things basic things like maximum salary and um, trade rules and things like that, where I know that you fall more on the side of the free market, and if you have a good GM, he's going to avoid the pitfalls that get teams into trouble. But my position was, you know, you never really have a truly open system because you have a limited number of teams and a lot of other reasons. And it, it is a competitive environment, and teams are going to do things to get themselves into trouble no matter what. And I think you need a system that protects the integrity of, I wouldn't say integrity the league, the, the protects the value to the league of having thirty teams that try to stay as competitive as possible and don't get themselves into like, for example, a Ted Stepien situation where the the and Brooklyn more recently where the team just mires themselves in um in uh, what's what's a good word below mediocrity? purgatory purgatory, purgatory maybe, well, yeah. even even worse than that I mean purgatory somewhere in the middle yeah you know, my, yeah
0: purgatory would be like where the Hornets are right now yeah
1: exactly. Exactly. But gets gets into a situation where they're bad and they, they don't have any assets with which to get better. So the only thing you can do is you have to wait until all those bad contracts expire and you gather enough draft picks over time and get to a point where you can even be, so you can say you're at square one. So, you know, I like the system that it has these controls over it. And I, I think that in the end, it's, it's a fine balance between, okay, are we in the sweet spot right now or are there areas? Where it should be a little bit looser or the areas where it should be a little tighter. And again, when we talk about success of CPAs, these are some of the things that they address. Oh, we went too far with this, we're gonna loosen it up a little bit. We went too far with that, we're gonna we're gonna loosen things. You know, with the trade rules, for example, it used to be that the the full salary guaranteed or not was what they based the trade math on. And then you get into the crazy trades like the Brendan Haywood trade a couple of years ago, and they decided they were gonna tighten that up, where it was only gonna be the guaranteed base salary that got approved. Trade math. On the other hand, they loosened up some other stuff. It used to be that you can only go 125%, and now they've loosened some of that up to 150% in the incoming versus outgoing salary. So it's, it's again, they're they're tweaking the individual knobs to try to make a system that overall is flowing as smoothly as possible. I'm missing yeah. a lot of metaphors there.
0: <laughs> well, uh, for me, you know, I think it's kind of more on a case by case basis of whether I like, you know, limitations uh, or uh, open market. I mean, I think I would like that for the market. Market on max salaries to be a little more open than it is now. I think, you know, the 35% max should be available to players immediately coming off their rookie contracts and they shouldn't have these gradations based on experience. Because for me, I'm more about allowing performance and pay to match up as closely as possible. I think it makes for a worse league when you've Agreed. got all these players from the 2016 free agent class, for, for example, which we'll talk about in a little bit, who are getting paid so much more than they're worth. And now you've got guys who aren't going to get paid as much this year. And then, you know, the best players in the league not getting paid what they're worth i think if you're once you get to like okay steph curry and lebron james are worth 50 to 70 million a year then i think that kind of gets ugly for the system but at least let them get the 35 percent max right away but then on other things like the draft for example uh, I'm totally on board with the draft. I think that that's what really separates us from, say, the European system, where you've got you know four teams that have a chance to win the league every year. Uh, you know, and it's not just a, a question of resources; they don't have salary caps there either, so that that would help with things. But I think you still have to provide hope for some of those downtrodden teams. So I think it's kind of more on a case by case basis for me, you know, whether the role whether the rule makes sense or not.
1: Yeah, I agree. And in the max salary case, I've heard you make a great point a couple of th- times, which is that when you have to have a 10-year ten uh, tenure requirement in order to earn the highest max salary, you're guaranteeing that you're paying players in arrears. You're, you're paying their past pe- their peak at that point, so you're paying them for past performance, and I think the greater that separation is, the harder it is for the league.
0: Alright, we'll be right back uh, with Larry Kuhn uh, right after this word. So it's pretty easy to sell this one. MeUndies is the most comfortable pair of underwear cool. that like I have one? ever owned. Certainly, we've all had the experience in our lives. If you wear a box boxers they kind of ride up under the belt of your pants if you wear boxer briefs the legs kind of ride up and you've got that feeling where you want to pull them down but there's really no way to do that in public with any kind of decorum. MeUndies has freed me from all of that. I put them on in the morning and I don't think about them at all until the end of the day. They're never uncomfortable. It's made from this fabric micro modal that's three times softer than cotton. It just moves with you at at all points of the day. It's incredibly comfortable and you don't have to take just my word for it because they're so sure you love their underwear. They offer 100% satisfaction guarantee if you don't love your first pair you can get a full refund and they also want to give you a discount on your first pair 20 percent off along with free shipping again they want to get you in Try a pair because they think that you're gonna keep buying them. That's certainly what happened to me. The way to get started with them and get your 20% off that free shipping and their 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to meundies.com slash cap space. That slash cap space URL, easy to remember. Maybe Larry and I have discussed that once or twice so far. meundies.com slash cap space. It is that URL on this one, meundies.com slash cap And let them know that you came from us. So this isn't strictly related to this new CV although it certainly works in concert with it. One of the things that has gotten a lot of controversy lately, Michelle Roberts had an interview with Paul Flannery of SB Nation talking about the cap smoothing. And now that the time has come to pay the piper where this 2018 free agency is looking pretty tight, 2019 a little better but still looking pretty tight, and you've got guys who are far superior to some of the guys who got massive four-year, eight-figure contracts in 2016 getting paid far, far less, a lot of discussion has gone back. Back to the union's decision which i think is unfair to say that that was the union's decision because it is a, a bargaining process uh, but to, to reject the league's proposal uh, for cap smoothing a- and so uh, why don't you, you've been vocal before about, hey, you know what, they probably should have accepted that. Why do you believe, just kind of explain how the system works there and why you think it would have been to everyone's advantage, but particularly the union's membership to have accepted that proposal back in 2015.
1: Sure. So as you know, in 2016, the new TV money hit and it really was, and I've referred to it this way a couple of different times, as a shock to the system. Every year there's a normal cap increase and that's expected, but this was a huge one and it created such And imbalance um, in conjunction with a lot of the exceptions going up by forty five percent, it created a a mixed economy right from the get go. And the only players who were really eligible to benefit for it were the twenty sixteen free agents because you know teams have a cap that went up from the sixty million range to the hundred million range, and which on on average, you know, that's like forty million bucks that they have to spend, and you have to spend up to ninety percent of the cap. So teams are more or less forced to, to spend it just on the 2016 free agents. So you get guys, you know, the, the famous examples are the Timofey Mozgovs and the Lou Aldings. In fact, I think we should create a unit of measure that we call the Mozgov that <laughs> we used to refer to, you know, how how inequitably paid guys like Jimmy Butler are. Uh, and, you know, the money had to go to them. And as and that happened to a huge extent in 2016, it happened to a smaller extent in 2017. And now the market's starting to close up. So the only free free agents that really benefited from being free agents in a market where there was a substantial cap jump were the free agents in those couple of free agent classes. And the guys whose timing didn't work out were just kind of left out in the cold. So what could they have done differently? Um, that's the idea of cap smoothing. So the idea is that rather than let the cap fall where it would have, so rather than let it fall up at $100 million, you're instead going to say, we're going to keep it down to a more rational income. Let's call it $70 million or $75 million. Don't let the cap bump so high. So teams are going to spend a, a more normal amount on the free, on free agents. They're not going to throw the Mozgov contracts around to guys who don't deserve it. And what's going to happen then is that the league is going to make the same amount of money that they were going to make. The players have a revenue guarantee. It's between 49 and 51%. The players are going to be still be guaranteed that amount of money because it didn't go to the 2016 free agents. Instead, it will be the league will have to cut a check to the union to make up the difference. So all that money, every dime of it, is still going to go to the players as a whole, as a collective. Just not to the the guys who were signed to unreasonable contracts. Instead that money will be divided up among every player in the league. So rather than a Mozgov and a Deng benefiting tremendously and a lot, a lot of other guys going, well where's mine? Every player in the league would have gotten a proportional amount of that money. Every player would have benefited not only that year but the next year when it got even higher and they would have created the same situation. Let it ramp up over a few years so that one free agent class isn't necessarily disadvantaged. So I'm
0: largely in agreement with you that I think that that would have been better. And you have to wonder whether the union fully really understood the idea of, hey, you know what, you're getting all this money anyway. However, I've I've wondered about this for a long time. And I've tried to do some digging, you know, talking to a, a number of sources about why it was that the players did not agree to the smoothing and at least present their side of it. And I think that they do present some arguments, which, you know, maybe you can respond to here, but, and maybe we can kind of do these in turn. If, if anything I say, uh, piques your interest here. Yeah. I'll
1: pick them apart one at a time. (laughs)
0: well so uh, the first thing was just if you consider what the situation was michelle roberts uh, had just been confirmed as director of uh, the mbpa and they're coming off a lockout there hadn't really been because of some of the turmoil in the union with billy hunter and Derek fisher there hadn't really been much progress or, or much of a relationship since that 2011 lockout was ended and then first thing that happens when michelle roberts comes in hey we got this awesome tv deal uh oh let's put your arm around you and say hey you know what like this is a great idea this smoothing like let's all do it and for a league that at least in my opinion and i'm sure the players as well had kind of been obfuscating some of the numbers about the teams and losing money that uh the union wasn't going to just go along with that and especially when michelle roberts had just been brought in the first thing that you can do is the union president isn't oh yeah uh or, or director or whatever oh yeah you know uh i know what we'll do let's just agree to artificially lower the Cap, and while you and I know that perhaps the, the players would have gotten that money anyway, the optics of that would have been very difficult. So, so that's one reason. What do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I guess my first response to that is that this is not an entry level job. They hired Michelle Roberts because she was supposed to be. Yeah. and I'm not going to not to denigrate her in any way, but yeah, she, she's, she's done to some be... great things, and the right. union
0: has done some great things, I think. And they also kept us out of a uh, were half of keeping us out of a lockout. In 2017, so that's, exactly. But uh, she was
1: she was supposed to be eminently qualified for that role. And one of the things is being able to hit the ground running, step in there, have some conversations. You know, she has a whole legal team behind her as well. Don't forget that. And realize that hey, this thing is a good idea because of this reason and this reason. And when you talk about bad optics, I mean, I I think that the you know the her her first responsibility is to her constituents, and the first message to those constituents is look when we do that you're all going to be getting the same amount together but every single one of you is going to be getting a big check because of this and i'm i'm helping every single one of you by doing this and i think that that's also fairly easy to explain to the lay player that that that's going to be something that that's going to be good for them okay so i
0: i'm in agreement with, with you there i mean that's more of you know an explanation than a a, a reason you know a rational reason to to reject it but i think you know that's something that has to be considered especially when you consider that this is this is an elected position uh another thing that the union said is is the union and michelle said this specifically in an interview uh and i was able to do a little bit more digging through some other sources about you know exactly what happened here was that they hired some consultants and uh, essentially these consultants said the previous times that there were cap increases and and there were much smaller increases back in the day but you know a five million dollar increase here and there but you know back at a time when that was a very significant increase that it took a while for teams to kind of catch up and the belief was you know what this isn't going to be as big of a shock to the system and, and i think they have a little bit of a point there because you'll recall that yeah the cap went up from 70 million it was projected to go up from 70 to 89 million it ended up being 94 which people didn't anticipate would be that high in part because the warriors had such a it made so much money in their playoff run in, in 2016 uh and then the next year the initial projections were that it was supposed to go up to 108 and part of the reason for that was a projected shortfall by the league this is the league's own uh, projections here saying hey you know what we're not going to catch we're not going to spend as much as we're supposed to with this 90 million dollar cap the players aren't going to get enough money and then that's going to trigger an artificial increase to make up for that uh, the next year so apparently the league in addition to uh, the players both thought hey you know we're not going to spend all this uh, all this money and and then it is going to be distributed spend
1: more. money that they had available to spend who who, whoever would have guessed that <laughs>
0: well not not the nba and, and not uh the players consultants uh, apparently but but and maybe the other thing you could say too is and this is something that we tried to do you know when we did our mock-off season but uh obviously things got thrown out of whack so quickly uh, with the those first it was even that mozgov contract w- was which was agreed to you know uh, on uh the eve of 2 a.m i think uh yeah 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 but we also didn't know that every single one of these contracts was going to be 4 year, right? I mean, most of most of them going on so yeah, long. Yeah, but
1: let's let's separate the 4 year yeah. issue because because that really is a separate topic from, you know, cuz even if they were offering only 1 year contracts, it what's it still would have been the cap smoothing issue. So let's 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 table that discussion yeah. for right now and, and keep to the point. Yeah, so yeah, who knew that the the teams were going to spend so much? But the corollary to that is that this is a system where there's a feedback mechanism in. Um you've probably explained to to your yeah listeners many times you know if they if the team spend too much they pull in the reins a little bit the next year if they don't spend enough they let them out the next year and that keeps the the league the the league as a whole pointed in the same direction over time but the fact that it's a feedback mechanism means that um that feedback loop is going to cause big outputs from small inputs that and that's an argument for more stasis in the system and just one more argument in favor of keeping the cap smoothing and keeping more containment on that just the the, the fact that you have that feedback me- mechanism means that there's going to be a multiplier of any small effect.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I'm in agreement there too. I, I think another point that was made to me is that, Hey, you know, this isn't quite as disastrous as you would have thought because teams knew that this big increase was coming. And so that affected their decisions and extensions in 2014, 2015 free agency, 2015 uh, extensions. Uh, and then also, extensions for the summer of 2017 uh rookie extensions in uh you know the 2016 off season you know that kicked in in the summer of 2017 so there's it was a little bit more spread out the idea that it was all the 2016 free agents who benefited you know I, there's a, a little bit of pushback on that i i agree it's not that's not a ton of benefit but there there was some effect on having this big number in 2016 that teams spent more to begin with uh in the years leading up to that because they knew that this huge increase was coming
1: yeah i'm not sure and i i haven't modeled this in a way that i can pick out players who got more in the years leading up like you suggest um uh, but i can say that there are certain players like a like jimmy butler or yeah. draymond green
0: who uh, I'll, are i'll tell you i'll tell you one uh okay. west matthews west matthews in uh or was that was that the summer of 2016 that he signed no it was 20 yeah summer of 2015 is when west matthews signed so he got a max deal coming off a of torn achilles that probably doesn't happen unless you know you have that uh increase omer i would be one but I, I agree with you there the examples are hard to come by right to be sure and, and
1: for every every west matthews you 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 bring to me i'll see you and i'll raise you a jimmy butler you know right a, right uh Pal i have mark gasol uh kevin love a deandre jordan a Draymond green
0: yeah no i i, I agree with that too um another but, but, thing but the other thing yeah, sorry ahead. and i'm going to yeah. stop
1: you for a minute because yeah, you sure. said you you brought in they brought in the, the consultants um i've also heard them referred to as economists you know which just is a gimme to at well, I wonder who her, her economists were. Uh, part of it is that I when I look at her statements to Paul Flannery in that piece, they don't reflect a sober analysis of what uh, the situation was and yeah. a, you know, a rational um, decision on, on on the basis of sound evidence. Because she was saying stuff like, um, there was, and I'll quote from the article, there was going to be no smoothing of the owner's profits at all. They were going to enjoy real money that reflected where we were financially as a game. Why in the World where players pretend that the game was not making as much money and therefore have smaller contracts. That's a complete mystery That's that's not saying we're yeah. going to keep the contracts. Uh, lower and that than could they just be. be
0: that could just be spin at this point. Yeah, you, know, you know that maybe, but but I, I agree with you. That makes little sense. And that she also in that same article called the proposal disgraceful from the league, which I think is uh more than a little strong uh, uh, to to make that to say that. Uh, yeah, and she know.
1: said one of the things that she said was not a single owner came up to me and suggested that they. Thought we should do this. I mean, I've I've talked to I can't I don't know if I've talked to owners who have said oh that was they absolutely should have done it. But I've talked to plenty of team people who said yeah I don't know why they didn't agree to that. So the-
0: well, well, th- there is a, one thing that though that I have heard consistently is you know this proposal from the league was number one. You know they're the ones who wanted it, and they certainly did never made an attempt to make a concession. And also that there was not a concrete proposal of okay this is how many years we're going to do this over uh you know this is what we might be willing to to give up in exchange here's how this is going to work it was just hey what do you think about this cap smoothing oh you don't want to do it okay we'll give up you know and also worth noting that the league in many ways by not giving more they screwed a lot of their members as well i mean look at all these teams now that are going to be taxed out with nowhere to go uh coming into the 2018 offseason because of those same contracts that they signed in 2016
1: exactly and i'm going to take issue with one word that you said, uh, which was concession. Because if you're asking for something that's going to benefit you, yeah, I can see. okay, what are you going to give us in exchange for that? But these are some common best interests, and these should be win-wins, fewer bad contracts. It's in both their best interests to have fewer bad contracts because in in a system in which the player's share is limited to how much the league makes, you want the contracts going to the players who are earning it because the, the bad contracts essentially take money out of the system and again you're taking care of every player in the league except for the select few so it's this was a win-win and i don't see why they would need to offer concessions but yeah another side effect of that that you brought yeah, up
0: was. But, but let me ask you this okay. when is the last time in any collective bargaining that you've ever heard of that the sides have just agreed to do something without one side making a concession that is very rare that that will happen
1: yeah but i keep going back to this being a unique situation you know when, yeah. when they're talking about oh in it's Takes the league the league time to catch up in a normal cap increase well yeah it's because the normal raises and everything else that's built into the system is pretty close to the amount that the cap jumps every year so you're accounting you're already taking up some of that money from the next year with just the standard increases this is something different so i, I they're disanalogous situations that i don't know you can compare that easily.
0: yeah no i i mean and i i like i said i i agree with you i think they should have agreed to it or at least explored it a little bit more i mean Again, maybe it just maybe it just goes back to these consultants didn't know what they were doing and screwed it up. You know, yeah, yeah, I mean, and, it, and it, let me think about right,
1: right. That's what I think it was actually. Or you know, this this could be like um, Donald Trump calling People Magazine as John Miller. <laughs> you know, who, who knows who were who her economists were out there or if they for sure even were out there. But I do want to bring up something else that that you mentioned um, just to close the loop on that. You you talked about the tax consequences, and yeah, by the cap raising so so far, one of the consequences of that is that it's going to be so much harder to hit the luxury tax. And the luxury tax is one of the mechanisms that they install to try to keep the system where it's supposed to be. By raising the cap so far, you take the teeth out of the tax and teams are therefore going to spend a lot more and therefore when it catches up, teams are going to be in real trouble later on. It's just going to delay the effect and make the effect worse once you do catch up. So again, that's one of the arguments in favor of having the smoothing.
0: Yeah, and all that said though you know and another consequence of course was Kevin Durant being in Golden State although it's a little bit reductive to say they couldn't have got him we don't know where the smoothing would have ended up if it were 85 million they probably could have figured out a way to get him maybe even 80 million they they could have found a way to get him so but I think him being in Golden State has been good I mean the ratings just continue to go up for the NBA and it seems like a lot of that's driven by having the most talent on the top teams despite what fans of some of the more downtrodden franchises might think so uh, all that said i mean i think the league is fine to me overall it's just there have been certain big losers 2018 free agents and you know some of these teams which you know the the latter of which have more of themselves to blame for really you know using small cap holds to spend right up to the cap and then extending guys uh, or sending them to new contract seems like detroit or portland or washington you know a lot of these teams that are right at the cap running into those issues so they have themselves to blame for for that to some degree
1: well more Uh, than anything more than anything the this shock to the system really made it so that the teams that knew what they were doing and and executed a a prudent strategy had a huge advantage over the teams that did not and i think you're seeing the effects now i think that to a large extent this is you know directly with golden state indirectly with teams like boston being so good right now the the effects of that huge cap jump really do a, a lot toward determining who the top teams are going to be over you know this year in the next few years
0: yeah uh, or just the teams you could also say the teams that were lucky enough to actually get guys in the summer of 16 who were so good that they're worth their contract you know, doing al horford or obviously kd being in that mix uh but all right let, let's take another quick break here then we want to talk a little bit more about some of the other new cba provisions and, and uh, about sbc as well we'll be right back you're listening to this podcast You obviously love learning from the master, Larry Kuhn. You uh, or a loved one can also learn from another master, Stephen Curry. There's actually a really good article about Master Class in the Wall Street Journal that I read uh, this past weekend. I was wondering some of the same questions, actually. Like, wh- why do people like Stephen Curry, why do people like Bob Woodward is doing a, a class on, on investigative journalism, why did they want to do this? And what they all said was, this is their chance to, to give back in a format that everyone can appreciate and, and understand that'll be accessible because it really does feel like you're being taught one-on-one with Class. Stuff's Steph's in particular you get four hours of movie quality video lessons he'll teach you perfect shooting mechanics footwork scoring techniques his ball handling drills when I mean, you see the stuff that he does at the beginning of games you can learn how to do that stuff I mean we're not going to guarantee that you're going to be as good as Steph but he'll give you the tools to, to do it and it makes an amazing gift for any basketball player any NBA junkie in your life or yourself as well I, mean, I, I thought it was fascinating just to learn more about Steph and the way he approaches things and you can also choose from 30 other masters across a wide range of fields, writing, cooking, film, acting, many other things. And Masterclass has launched this all-access pass now, which gives you every class from over 30 masters, all for the price of two. So if you go to masterclass.com capspace you can get, see the list of all these. There's some great cooking classes as well, writing, any leave of it, so, so, photography. So you can learn from the best in the world at masterclass.com capspace cap space. Get that all-access. Access pass every class from over 30 masters all for the price of two masterclass.com slash cap space is that url so you mentioned one thing that is working in this new cba is the veteran extension system i'm in agreement with that you know we've seen Lamarcus aldridge sign a, extensions we, and this is we're not even talking about the designated player veteran extension now we're just talking about regular veteran extensions that really you know were very difficult to sign in the past because you couldn't increase guys salaries very much we've seen guys guys like Josh Richardson, Norman Paul Young guys who were making the minimum now teams have enough ammo to actually give them a deal th- that they might be interested in uh Lou Williams although he it's you're also eligible to extend on shorter contracts now uh, as well. So that's uh I think that is one thing that has been working pretty well. You agree with that? I uh, yeah, and I think
1: that's pretty huge. I think that a general rule of thumb is that when a team wants to keep a player and a player wants to stay with that team letting him become a free agent and therefore becoming a flight risk doesn't suit anybody if you are ready to re-up with each other i would hope that you could do the same deal before free agency you know and that you could do on july 6th i think that right. you know just letting the player hit the open market doesn't doesn't suit anybody so i like the idea of extensions that let players and teams kind of do what they were going to do anyway
0: yeah i, I like that as well you you can and for players you can put a little bit of the risk onto the team You know, if you happen to get injured uh, between when you would sign the extension and go into free agency, that could really negatively affect your value. And especially in this environment where uh, the market is really going to be a crapshoot for a lot of these players, those extensions seem uh, to really uh, have worked well. This one isn't, and I've talked about this a little bit before, but this one isn't really the new CBA, but it's almost really the first time that we are seeing the effect of the really more punitive luxury tax where uh, some of these uh, mid-market, small market teams are just, all right, we can not pay this under any circumstances because so people will recall in the 2011 Cba before then it was a dollar for dollar tax up to whatever limit now it starts at a dollar50 and goes up in pretty severe gradations to uh you know up to where the caps now in the repeater tax are, are you know basically 450 per additional dollar so we didn't see this teams getting stuck with the tax the way they are now because the cap went up so much over the course of the last CBA but now I think we're seeing the unintended consequences of a team like a Charlotte or a Detroit, for example, just getting totally stuck with the luxury tax and not able to do anything. And that to me seems like a little bit different than what was supposed to be intended there.
1: Yeah. And it goes back to what I said a few minutes ago about the cap smoothing, helping to keep teams from overspending early in the new agreement and have to pay the price later when they're just mired in the muck of contracts that they can't do anything about. I think that the system as it is, is, you know, it's one of those things where over successive CBAs, they try to keep tuning it um, to make it work better. So it started off as that dollar for dollar thing, like you mentioned, wasn't punitive enough. Teams just saw it as the cost of doing business. So let's make it more punitive, and let's make system changes around it. And they they took a little bit of the teeth out of it with this new CBA, where they bumped the margin at which you start losing um, uh, system, you know, exceptions and the like. They made that threshold a little bit higher. But in general, yeah, the the system's doing. Well what it's supposed to be doing. And again, it's rewarding the teams who had the forethought and the rational processes to see this coming and make sure that they didn't run headfirst into it.
0: What do you think of my theory that this more punitive luxury tax that was supposed to keep the big markets in check actually hurts small markets more because the big markets uh, or the high spending owners, uh, take uh, sometimes those are not exactly the same, uh, are still able to pay the tax when necessary when there are certain small markets who just can't ever pay it. Whereas under the old dollar for dollar, they could pay that. What do you think of that argument? Do you agree with me or do you think that no, it actually is having the effect that people intended?
1: I absolutely agree with you. I had a conversation with one GM of a smaller market team that, you know, not in a big media market, uh, as soon as the term sheet for the CBA came out, and it was talking about the designated veteran extension. And this GM was really worried about it, saying, I can't sign my own guys to that. Our economy here in in this team won't support that huge contract.
0: Yeah, with the idea being that if you sign that contract now to have a competitive team, you've got to go up, you're more likely to go into the tax or you know you might just be you know there's a 20 million dollar band between the cap and the tax so that's you know 20 million dollars of just you know real money that you have to pay out to players and so the closer you get to there even if you're not in the tax just you're it's too difficult to be profitable that's kind of the idea
1: yeah that's kind of a dichotomy there right if you're going to shell out the money for a max salary type of player you know a designated veteran type of player it's with the premise that you have a guy who is going to be capable of taking you to you know, deepen the playoffs or to a championship. But that comes with a burden because you that guy can't do it on his own. You have to, to surround him with the kinds of players that can help him get there. And if you don't do that, then you have a guy on a huge salary on a team that's non-competitive and, and it's a problem. If you do spend the money, then you have a, a great financial burden, including a tax burden. So it, it, it's a system that's better than it was, but because of nuances like that, it's still not sustainable for all 32 Teams in the league and the um, revenue sharing. You know that's one reason that why the revenue sharing is important because it helps to level that playing field. But again, the revenue sharing is a competing interest between teams wanting to ensure the health of the rest of the league, which is why the teams like the Lakers voted for it when they stand to pay out the most. But the the teams also deserve to keep some of their own revenues. So where do you set the balance there, and is that enough to mitigate the that discrepancy between uh, the rules that are in place and what it what what the implication of that rules really are oh
0: well, it's good good that we agree on something at least <laughs> well, no we're agreeing we, we, on almost everything yeah no that that's true i, I was playing more devil's advocate and I, and I did feel because all of us cba dorks have been like you know kind of crapping on uh, the players uh, and uh, you know to at least present their side and, and and at least understand why they made the decision that they did um
1: you know you you could so, yeah. you take a debate class they don't make you argue the side that you're in favor of they make you argue the opposite <laughs> side so you know i am I'm happy to have you taking that
0: i was lucky that when i was a lawyer i was most of what i did was plaintiff's work which means that you take cases on contingent fee and you uh then get a percentage of whatever you recover and so basically you're almost a co-investor in your client's case and so we almost never had cases where i didn't actually agree with what was being argued so that was nice actually I, i didn't have to play devil's advocate too often when i was a lawyer but uh most most of my attorney brethren are not in that position. Yeah, um, I
1: can't imagine criminal yeah. defense where it, it's so clear that the guy's guilty and you're still trying to argue for the fact that he's not. I, that's an yeah. unenviable situation.
0: So let's do a, a little bit here uh, almost like a, a preview of what people can get at, at sports business classroom. One thing that's uh, starting to come into view is that under for contracts signed under the new CBA that are non-guaranteed, there's uh, new rules for how that works in trade so why don't you go ahead and explain it. Some, of, some of the guys who might be considered here uh boyan bogdanovich who is a uh, non-guaranteed for next year although uh, he has a, a 629 guaranteed date darren Collison, non-guaranteed for next year about 10 million he's got a 7-1 uh guaranteed date and, and then milos teodosic has a, a guaranteed date of 715 he's only 2 million out of his about 6 million guaranteed for next year although he also has a player option which we will pretend that he's going to pick up in this circumstance so how does it work uh, trying to trade those guys both the, at the draft and then as we go through the, the off season into July.
1: Yeah, so the first public speech I gave about this was at the Sloan Sports Analytics Conference last year where I talked about the new CBA that had just been signed and uh, just going through some of the rule changes and I tried to uh, give a name to the rule just like we have bird rights and we have the Gilbert Arenas provision. I took some of the new rules and started to um, to give names to them and this rule I call the Brendan Hayward rule. Because because Hayward was the prime example from before where a, a player had a huge contract, a huge salary for that year, but a very small guarantee, which means that he was an excellent trade chip, right? So you can you can trade um, him away, uh, you can get some assets back, and it, you're going to take a bad contract back with that huge salary outgoing. And the cost of getting some asset, be it draft picks or be it a, a productive player, is that you're willing to take on that bad salary. But for the other team, it's great because the... They get Hayward and his minuscule guarantees. So as soon as they trade for him, they just waive him. And now they have a much smaller number on their books, and they can go into free agency and spend wildly. Well, so now the
0: 2017 CBA, there's been a a new regime. And for guys who have signed contracts under that CBA, so if you go to the old CBA, there's still some non-guarantees out there, like Omer Asik signed under the old CBA as a non-guarantee in his fifth year. But for guys signed under this CBA, including... Boyan Bogdanovich, for example, with the, the Pacers. He's due ten point five million this year, ten point five million next year, but only one point five million of that is guaranteed, and his guarantee date is June 29th. So let's say the Pacers want to trade him this this offseason either during the draft or which is still technically during this league year, or even next off season, before his guarantee date uh I, although I guess with it being 629 that wouldn't be possible let's say his guarantee date were later potentially like Milos Teodosic's is uh you know how would that work for them trying to trade him in terms of matching salary
1: yeah so Bogdanovich is one of those cases of a player who's potentially subject to one of those crazy trades, right, where his salary is big, his guarantee is small, and they wanted to try and reduce the, the trades that are just for cap accounting purposes. So the way they changed the rule is to make it so that guys, and like you said, guys who are only signed under the current CBA because they grandfathered in the old contracts, their their trade math is based on the guaranteed portion of Um, of their their salary. So any non-guaranteed portion doesn't count. Now there's a lot of subtlety to this. And in fact, it's so subtle that we actually screwed this up when we first recorded it. And this is our second (laughs) go around on it. Little little inside uh, scoop there. So If a guy's traded during the season, now a guy whose salary is 10.5 and his guarantee is 1.5, he'll have actually earned more than that guaranteed amount by the time of a trade, especially if it happens at the trade deadline. So they go by what he's actually earned, if that's higher than his guarantee amount. And then once you get to January 10th, where all salaries become fully guaranteed, his trade amount is considered to be his full salary, not just the guaranteed portion because, well, it is the guaranteed portion because that's all fully guaranteed. And then it gets tricky after the season ends because once a a team's season ends, they can start trading again. So once that happens, they start looking at the next year's salary and they say, if the salary next year isn't fully guaranteed, then it's whichever is smaller between this year's salary and the guaranteed part of next year's salary. So you take a case like Bogdanovich, He's guaranteed 1.5 million out of that 10.5. His trade value would be 1.5 if he's non guaranteed at the time of the trade. And since his guarantee kicks in on June 29th, they wanted to, uh, um, you know, give time to waive him before the next season starts. So they, they kick that in at, at, 629. If he's traded before 629, before June 29th, his trade value is 1.5 million. If they make a trade on June 30th, his salary is fully guaranteed. So his trade value is 10.5 million. So it's based on where they are at the time of the trade. You take a case like Teodosic, who you mentioned. His $2.1 million guarantee out of a $6.3 million salary takes effect on July 15th. So at the time of the trade, if they trade him this year, he would be non-guaranteed no matter what, and he would be t- traded at that 2.1 figure. The, the It would kick up to the full amount if he's traded after July 15th. Now, you can always get around this by modifying the contract to change this guarantee and fully guaranteeing the guy before you do a trade. If indeed you want to make a legitimate basketball reasons trade and not just a cap accounting trade and the other team's okay with taking on the guy with a full guarantee.
0: all right so last segment we wanted to do here i hope that was informative for you guys who want to learn how the new trade rules work for non guaranteed contracts and you know if you do sbc you can get uh you know basically uh five full days of that six full days of that from larry and me and eric pinkus and a ton of other great guest lecturers that we have but uh another thing that i thought would be kind of interesting is you know you've been doing this since the 1999 cba came out and you know we're, we're lucky that you did that i wouldn't be able to do what i do had it not been for you i mean football hockey baseball i don't think they have anyone who, who have been operating on this type of plane nearly as much as you and i also think basketball is way more interesting from a cba standpoint than those sports are uh but i wanted to kind of you know when we have you on go through the history of certain rules and what the evolution is. Because I think that, that to me, when, when we're teaching, I think that that's always the history and the purpose of the rule is a great way to remember how it is that these things came to be to begin with. And then also just to remember the rule, if you can think of, okay, here's the purpose of it, that's an easy way to remember it. So I want to just talk a little bit about the, the evolution of restricted free agency over you know, the past 25 years or so.
1: Yeah, sure. And it's really a great topic because one of our themes here has been as you get success of CB, BAs, you tweak what happened before, try to make it better, try to take away some of the things that didn't work, try to take advantage of you know some opportunities where you can. And I think restricted free agency is one of those great things. When you look at when free agency started, uh, you know there there only was unrestricted free agency. Well, first of all, there was no free agency. Uh, but then once you started to get free agency, it was unrestricted free agency. If if a team lost somebody, then they got nothing in return, and that was the situation that the league decided that they wanted to fix. So they tried various things, and again we talk about unintended consequences. So one of the things they tried was compensatory draft picks, where if you lost a significant free agent, you get a draft pick in return, you know, from the team who was signing you. Well, one of the the big examples of that, sort of the most famous examples of that now, was back when Gail Goodrich signed with the New Orleans Jazz. Jazz, that's right, time, yeah. New Orleans Jazz at the time. The the aptly named New Orleans Jazz. Well, I guess pe- the Pelicans are now aptly named now too. But, yeah, the, the uh, New Orleans Hornets didn't quite make sense as a team name. Anyways, I digress. So um, Goodry signed with, um, from the Lakers with the Jazz. As compensation, the Lakers got a first-round draft pick, and that first-round draft pick was used to select Magic Johnson. So that was one of those things where, you know, New Orleans lost out big. It's like, okay, maybe this is too big of a compensation, and, and you just don't know what they're going to get in return. So they, they tweaked free agency. Um so you then get the concept of restricted free agency, where, where the great idea was, okay, we're going to allow a, a player to go and shop to get to ascertain his value and find out how much another team is willing to pay him. And if, if you do that and the other team gets a chance to say, okay, well, we're going to pay you that amount and then we're going to get to keep you. Um, a, a, a great concept in theory, because if the team's not willing to match it, then the guy gets to go and enjoy his new team. Team, but the original team gets some assurance that their talent's just not going to walk out the door, as long as they're willing to pony up the price. But then the question was, okay, to which players does th- this apply? And they've tweaked it around, and you know, it used to be uh, four years of service and two completed contracts, and then they uh, eliminated that in 1995. And that's one of the things that allowed Shaquille O'Neal to go to the Lakers. And again, unintended consequence. And '99, they put put it in in what's more of the current iteration where there's that three-year window. And then when they added the rookie scale contracts, they made it at the end of the, the rookie scale contract. Um, but then you get, once once you get to a restricted free agent situation that kind of mirrors what we have today, you get a couple of problems. One, I, I always refer to restricted free agents as kind of the bastard stepchildren of free agents, yeah. right? Because-
0: and, and I've railed against that for, for many years. And it's not only, to me, and we'll get to some of the tweaks that have been made, but I still, in my opinion, they still haven't gone far enough to be fair to these restricted free agents, but it just, the mechanics of it, you know, it's just not an efficient market uh, for getting these guys to have offer sheets to, to begin with because there are just so many negative consequences and opportunity costs to trying to sign one of these guys. Right,
1: so nobody gives an offer sheet to a restricted free agent while the big unrestricted free agents are on the board. So those guys all get signed and then there goes all the money and the restricted free agents are just left scrambling for whatever little amount of money is left over. And even if another team's willing to put some of their money on the table, lock it up for a few days while the, the original team makes a decision. So that system never really worked very well. And then the other problem with that, it this happened a couple of times. One was with um Cleveland and Carl Boozer, um Carlos Boozer, sorry. Yeah. And the other, um, the the one for which the the remedy to that was named was when Gilbert Arenas went from Golden State to Washington. The problem was while you have restricted free Rights. You have the right to match the contract. You may not have the ability to match the contract because these guys are typically in this situation are coming off two-year deals, and it takes three years to build up full bird rights. And unless you have cap room, you don't have the bird rights to match a high enough salary. So that's how some of these players were able to be poached. So they kind of remedy that by adding what we call the Gilbert Arenas provision, where they're going to contain the first year salary of of these restricted free agents in that situation, make it so that the team team can always match with what their mid-level exception, and provided you keep that, you should be golden. And then you don't want to disadvantage the player by saying, oh, we're just going to keep your salary down. So you let the player get a larger raise in the third year, and then that sort of balances it out. So pretty convoluted system in order to fix a problem, but it was a real problem. So there's the evolution there. Then when we talk about the new agreement, they, they did a partial remedy, and one that I didn't think went far enough to try and address the bastard stepchildren. Problem, which was that they allowed um, restricted free agents to sign offer sheets. So the the offers from another team they could be signed as soon as July first during the July moratorium, the first six days of July. A restricted free agent can sign an offer sheet. Now, when I first heard about that, I was saying, "Perfect, they're going to sign those offer sheets." Yeah,
0: me too. Yeah. I was really fired up for that. The
1: the team's going to match, and then their uh, their situation is taken care of. Not at the end, but it's taken care of first. And by the time the market opens up for the unrestricted free agents, the restricted free agents are already taken care of. They're already re-signed or they're committed to a new team. You know, Teams teams sort of know what's going on with that and they're not just waiting for the scraps that are left over. Unfortunately, they didn't quite go far enough with that. So while they made it so that restricted free agents could sign as soon as July 1st, the clock on the uh, home team to match or not match the contract doesn't start until the July moratorium ends on July 6th. So if you sign on July 1st, 1st, the team has, you know, they did shorten the window from 72 hours to 48 hours. But if you sign a restricted free agent on July 1st, they now have until July 8th to figure out whether or not to match you. And that just mucks it up completely because not only are you then still impeding on the market for the unrestricted free agents, but you're giving the other team eight days to figure out what they're going to do instead of two days. And I think that there's some value to the leverage of of making the team figure out what they want to do in just two days that lets you perhaps shake loose a restricted free agent and
0: well and it's also just that your cap space is so tied up now for eight full days everyone else is going to be gone right i mean you really it's really two separate markets uh, between and it also means essentially that any team that's good is not going to put in an offer sheet on a restricted free agent if you're trying to win now you need to get someone and get someone that you know is going to help you win now it's really you're limiting it to you know some of the teams that are really down at the bottom of the league who are just trying to rebuild with young players and have space that's all that you're limiting in the market to like you know brooklyn with otto porter for example last year or sacramento was a rumored destination as well that's a perfect example of this in action because you know if you're a team like the rockets or or the warriors or or you know even like the boston celtics who are a good team that had space you cannot wait around that long and risk getting nobody the risk of getting nobody is too high it's only the teams that have nothing to lose to begin with that are going to be making these offers now
1: right with an unrestricted free agent you can at least i mean yeah you have the you run the risk of the guy saying no and saying somewhere else but you can at least say look this offers on the table but we need an answer tonight or you know the next 24 hours otherwise we have to move on because the market's yeah. moving
0: no I, I i completely agree um but yeah so that was uh, a little window into what we talk about uh, in uh some of our sports business classroom section if you're really interested in, in cba stuff uh I don't know of any better place that you can go to try to learn it and also just to, to make great connections. I know both of the classes that we've had so far have made some awesome friendships just within the class as well. I mean, just to, it's probably worth its weight and go just to meet similarly similar people that you know you can be friends with for the rest of your life. I know a lot of people still have remained close through SBC. So that's one of the things that I, I've really liked about it. Uh, but I, I can't do as good of a job as the dean slash headmaster in selling it. <laughs> for sure
1: sure so well let's talk about what it is um sports business classroom is a week a solid week it's going to run from july 8th through 14th this year we are in we are immersed in we are a part of the summer league in las vegas nevada so we are the only program that can possibly provide that kind of immersion which gives us a couple of advantages one you know because it's the summer league and and think of the opportunity you have there it's not like all-star where everything's compressed into a couple of days and security is so tight, you can't do anything. In Summer League, everybody in the league is there for two weeks. And I mean everybody because all 30 teams are going to be there this year. The league has meetings. um, The Players Association has meetings. Everybody is there in Vegas in a relaxed environment, hanging out for a couple of weeks. And we're right in the middle of that. So we're able to pull people in and help have them um, sit with our students, help us out. Everything from, you know, sitting you one-on-one or in small groups with NBA scouts scouting a game being able to ask them questions them being able to show you what they're doing and video coordinators doing the same thing all the way up through you know we bring in guest lecturers like we had um, and we'll have again this year Daryl Morey and Kirk Goldsberry teaching analytics you know the, the the best you can possibly get there we get some um, guests like you know GM's Masai Ujiri. uh Ujiri uh, we've had um, Neil O'Shea in. we've had head coaches in like Scott Brooks and Ray uh, Carlisle and Mike D'Antoni uh, talking to the students. We've we pulled in Commissioner Adam Silver to, to address the students um, it, the year before last. We're able to sort of tap that marketplace and SBC beyond just the straight academics and we give you a lot of great academics which I'll talk about in a minute but we also provide you with that um, immersion in the league. You're working part of the league. The, the people who are working on broadcasts, you know, we're sitting at the broadcast table with David Aldrin or in the truck for nba tv broadcasting the game they were um in the stands running the social media for the game they were um in in the 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 stands with nba scouts scouting the game um and the cba people were just like in a backroom running exercises so what what do they care about basketball right but um the the networking opportunities you know those guys not are there for you they're when we bring them in they're hanging out for a a half an hour after the program for one-on-one time with you so you're you're having a chance to network with people, maybe, you know, have them get to know you. So when you're looking for a job later on, the, the best thing you could, you could do in terms of having a foot in the door is, is knowing these people and having them know you. And we provide a little bit of that. We're in an environment where, like I said, everybody's there, they're coming in, they're being a part of the program. And when you're a sports business classroom student, they know that who you are, what you're getting out of the program, and they're interested in you. And they're, some of the teams are hiring people directly directly out of our program because of it because they know what we offer and what we're providing in terms of academics so i organize sports business classroom like a college and like a college you get a little bit of everything in your ge sections. so no matter what your major you're getting a well-rounded education in everything that we offer but you're also picking a major and you're diving in deep to that one major so for the the, the majors this year are the league salary cap scouting video and analytics and also so we have a newly combined major this year, um, social media, digital branding, and broadcast. So if you're a CBA major, a salary cap major, you're diving in deep to the CBA with me, with, with you, Nate, with Eric Pincus, where we're really going into the nuances of the agreement. And this is the same material that I've taught directly to teams. It's getting down to that level. And in fact, we have a sort of a separate enrollment for team people and lead people and agents who want to come in just for that. And you're sitting there learning side by side with these people working in, in the league. So you're getting that level, that depth of education in the salary cap. If you're a scouting video analytics major, you're going through all three of those topics in depth. You're um, you're making arguments with data in an analytics practicum. You're sitting with scouts in the stands and doing scouting reports. You're sitting with video coordinators and and seeing what they do. If you're a broadcast major, again, we're immersing you. Um, broadcaster social, you're, you're talking with team and league people who are doing Branding. You're um, um, working potentially with players and helping to build their digital brand. You are in the stands running the social for a game, so you're directly involved in in the league, um, doing stuff in depth in whatever major you choose.
0: Yeah, and for Larry, I mean, you've made the joke. We get paid a little for this, but uh, you made the joke that uh, you could be managing a Seven Eleven and probably get a better hourly rate. Once, once I could we, be, so really... I could be a,
1: slur- a clerk at a Seven Eleven and be. <laughs> Oh yeah, to, uh, I'm
0: sorry. Plus,
1: plus free slurpees.
0: <laughs> well, I, I mean, but for us, we just love doing it. It's really a, a labor of love for us to just get out and meet some of the people who listen to, to the podcast. In my case, who, who have benefited already from CBA FAQ and hopefully help to craft the next generation of, of people who love basketball and love talking about basketball. And you know, it, it's it's something that I'd never really taught anything before. Uh, specifically, and so actually being able to do that in person in front of a group is is a really rewarding experience for me, and and I think that uh, if you come, we'll do our best to make it a really rewarding experience for you, too.
1: Yeah, let me talk about one other thing, too. Uh, First of all, how do you enroll in this? Go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com. You'll see enrollment links there. Um, The enrollment is limited because I talked about that networking experience. The more students there are, the more it dilutes that experience, so we cut it off. We let in 60 students, and that is it we're not like another program where you're just a, a faceless audience of people who are listening to a bunch of panels. You are working directly with people in the league. You're um, working directly with us on projects. This is hands-on. And for that yeah, reason, I mean, uh, we we
0: remember basically all of the students that we've had. Like if they came up to us, we would totally remember them and and, and say hello. I mean, that's a, how intimate of a setting it actually is. Yeah. Hap-
1: happened to me at Summer League. Um, I was walking out the door at the, the D-League showcase and one of my former students, Hey, how are you doing? So we just sat and had a 20 minute conversation. So yeah, enrollment is competitive um, because of of the limited um, space that's available. And this will fill up. We've sold out the last two years. We're going to sell out again this year. And, uh, you know, it's not like uh, I'm Harvard where I'm closing off applications and then I'm taking the 60 best applications I can find. I'm looking for a well-rounded student body who can learn from each other as much as they're going to learn from me and certainly form those kinds of bonds from common experience, but also from the differences that they bring from their own experiences. So it it's always worked out great in that regard, but just be sure to get your application in because it does fill up. The other thing that I'm going to mention is that new this year, if you can't make it to Las Vegas, and as I say that, I'm going to say, if it's at all possible for you to make it to Vegas for the program, you should do it because you get the immersion, you get the networking, you get the the direct access to everybody in the league, you get you know everything that that it is being around the summer league um, and you get more of the program. But if you can't make it to Vegas for any reason, we're going to have a live stream component where certain um, sections of the program, you can see which ones they are on the website, certain sections of the program will be streamed live and you'll be able to um, you know, attend those, you'll be able to do video on demand later just in case it doesn't meet your schedule, you'll be able to ask questions while the the, the session is going on live and be an active member of the audience as well. So if you can make it to Vegas, you should make it to vegas hands down no question but if for whatever reason you can't consider the live stream option as an alternative all
0: right well uh, that'll do it for today we hope to see you guys uh, in vegas and, and larry thanks of course uh, for coming on and uh giving us uh, an education as always we appreciate
1: it well especially i'm glad i could clear up this this discrepancy about the larry chance at laker <laughs> games because yeah you, know, you you were just you had it wrong you had it all wrong
0: yes headmaster <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you all next time. Till then.